Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come this morning, we recognize that you as our transcendent Father, You've chosen to reveal Yourself. You've chosen to open our eyes so that we might see You. And Father, as we come this morning, it is our heart's desire that that You would continue the work that You've begun in us. That You would, in a very real way, Continue to shape us into the image of your Son. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for paying the price to give us life. Please continue to make us and to shape us more and more into the image of your Son. It is in his name that we pray. And for his glory, amen. In the last few years, my wife and I have become grandparents. And being on the other side of becoming grandparents and knowing what other parents know as well, and that is that you don't need to teach kids the concept of fairness. They get it. They really do. As they play with friends and siblings, you can expect to hear from time to time, that's not fair. Maybe one of them kept the toy too long. They're not sharing. Maybe you've handed out dessert and someone has more. And so you hear, that's not fair. Maybe as they get older, Their friends are allowed to do things that they're not. Allowed to stay out later than they are. Maybe they get that cell phone before they do. That's not fair. When we become adults, we continue to feel unfairness. A coworker throws you under the bus and you're passed over for that promotion. Some of us are dealing with infertility, but our friends and other family don't seem to have a problem starting and having family. Some of us are wondering about singleness, all while our friends seem to be happily married. Why not you? Let me be clear. There are serious injustices in the world. And I'm not discounting them, and I'm not suggesting that we don't care about them. I'm not saying that our legal system should not be fair. It should be. There is a time to call out serious injustice. But that's not what I'm speaking about today. Today. 
What I'm speaking about today is a way of looking at the world. Some of us, whether we have experienced real unfairness or not, we view life through a lens of unfairness. We're always calculating what we deserve. We're always mindful of other people's successes and our supposed failures. We're constantly aware of whether we're being recognized or ignored. We experience life through a lens of fairness. I'll say, I, I have worn glasses, not these glasses, but I have worn glasses since high school. And ever since high school, I have had to put on glasses to see clearly. And so every morning, I wake up and I reach over to my nightstand and I put my glasses on in order to see the world around me. We all put on some kind of lens to see the world around us. None of us just experiences the world. We're constantly interpreting it. You're not just looking at the world. You're interpreting it and how it's impacting you. For some of us, that is only through a lens of fairness. We're always sizing up. We're always calculating. We're always feeling as if we are owed something by our friends, by our family, by our employer, and even by God. But there is another way to look at the world. Another way is to get up in the morning and put on the lens of grace. The lens of grace helps us to realize that most days are better than I deserve. And even on those days that are truly hard, I can believe that they are for my good. Instead of experiencing life as one event after another where I don't get what I deserve, I can experience life as a gift. I can see life as God's grace to me. I wonder how you view life. Matthew 20 begins with a parable of a gracious landowner, and I'd like to do something a little different. I'd like to read it again, and I want you to listen to the story. I want you to listen for something, though. I want you to listen for two things. I want you to listen for fairness and for grace. Beginning at verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, 
and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And those hired about the eleventh hour came, and each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. What are parables? Well, parables are made-up stories. They use everyday things of life. They use work. They use farming. They use parenting. And they're intended to teach us about spiritual matters. And Jesus is using them as a lens to help us see and to correct our perspective. Parables allow us to see something that we might not otherwise be able to see. They reveal to us what God is like, and they're intended to get a reaction. They're intended to cause us to feel something. And they're intended to prod us into the kind of action that those who are in the kingdom of God are going to act out. This parable begins, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, the kingdom of heaven is a major theme for Matthew. And the kingdom of heaven is the spiritual reign of God in the hearts of his people. It's picturing what it's like when we submit to the rule of God in our hearts. And this parable is intended to prod, it's intended to move us, it's intended to make us aware that we are to allow God to reign in our hearts when we understand his justice, his sovereign freedom, and his generosity. There are five groups of workers that are hired in this parable. Each of them is being hired at different times of the day. And one of the things we need to understand about the clock, in Jesus' day, 6 a.m. is the zero hour, and the clock counts up from there. And so this parable is picturing for us a typical workday from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's not an eight-hour workday, it's a 12-hour workday. 
So the owner hires a group of workers at 6 a.m., and the intent is for them to work that entire 12 hours. They come to an agreement for a denarius. Now, a denarius, it wasn't overly generous. It's not overly stingy. It's good pay. It is day laborer pay. And so they come to an agreement, and they go into the field and work. And then three hours later, 9 a.m., the owner hires those who are still in the marketplace who have not yet found work, but I want us to notice that he doesn't make a specific financial arrangement with them. He simply says, whatever is right, I will give you. And then three hours later, we're at noon now, he hires more workers. And then another three hours later, we're at three o'clock, he hires more workers. And then two hours later, one hour before the end of the workday, he hires another group of workers. So there are five groups of workers, 12-hour workers who've agreed for a denarius, nine-hour workers who've agreed to work for what is right, and then there are six, three, and one-hour workers. And when it comes time for the work to stop, it's also time in that culture to pay the workers. The owner tells the manager to line them up, but to line them up in reverse order. First is last, and last is first. And that's our first indication that something different is going to happen, something unusual. Those who are paid first, those who were hired last, receive a full day's wages. They are paid 12 times what they are owed. 12 times the going rate. They are sitting there and they're receiving a full day's pay. You can begin to imagine what they're thinking. They're shifting in their thoughts. They thought they were going to walk up and receive one-twelfth of a day's wages. And instead, they received 12 times what they expected. But as your imagination continues to go, you can also realize that those who are behind them are beginning to wonder, are you kidding me? He's paying 12 times the going rate. Does that mean that we're going to get 12 denarius? We're going to get paid 12 times what we thought we were going to get paid? And as they're wondering these thoughts, the manager places in their hand one denarius. And they're beginning to get a little upset. That's not fair. And then they move beyond being upset to grumbling. And they basically say in verse 11, they're grumbling, and then in verse 12, and then they're protesting this. These, these ones who worked only one hour, you've made them equal to us. You've made them the same as us. We worked in the heat of the day, and you've made them equal to us. It's not fair. Now, we know the parable. 
And so we know we're supposed to align our thoughts with the landowner. But if we use our imagination, we, we, all, we all sympathize with them, don't we? It's like, yeah, that's unfair. That's a familiar feeling. That's not right. I understand what they're feeling. I understand what they're thinking. He gave them more. He ought to give us more. And then the landowner responds. He says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I'm choosing to give to this last one as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do that? Am I not allowed to do what I want with the things that are mine? Do you begrudge me because I'm generous? And then Jesus ends the parable. He simply says, the last will be first and the first last. Now, he doesn't give an explanation. In some parables, he explains what he means, and honestly, that would have made my week a whole lot easier. <laughs> but he didn't do that. And so it's left to us to kind of determine, hey, what, what's going on here? What are the lessons? And I want us to see that there are three interlocking lessons in this passage. One of them is, lesson one is that Jesus is teaching that God is more than just. God is more than just. So stated positively, the landowner who we intuitively understand represents God says, I've been fair, I've been just, I've been right to you, I've not wronged anyone. I've not been less than just. In fact, I've been more than just. What do I mean? Let me see if I can explain it this way. God's justice is not simply equitable. It is loving. It is restorative. God's justice is rooted in his character. It is the outworking of his character. It's the outworking of his loving commitment to us as his people. God is being true to his character, and when he is true to his character, he doesn't simply give what is due. He restores. He restores the disadvantaged. He restores the needy. He restores the poor. He restores what is lacking for his people, and he pays it out of his own pocket. I want you to think about something for a moment. I want you to think about the day laborers in the story. Day laborers tend to eat hand to mouth. They tend to need that pay every day. They need the day's wages to be able to care for themselves and to care for their family. And in the Old Testament, God completely understands this. In fact, in Deuteronomy, he says, give to him his wages on the same day. He is poor and counts on it. He understands. The day laborer needs that money. 
So think about it. Why are so many in the story, in the parable, why are so many of the day laborers hired after 6 a.m.? What would happen to those day laborers if they weren't hired? If the landowner did not pursue them and did not hire them, what would happen? Well, they might not eat. Their families might not eat. They would not be able to provide for the very real needs of their family. Jesus is teaching that God's justice cares not only about what is fair, what is due, what is equitable, but his justice cares about what is needed. He was concerned for those day laborers, and he met the need that they had out of his own pocket. So why is that so important? It's important because God calls those of us who submit our lives to his rule to reflect his character in the way that we live. And that includes his heart for restorative justice. He cares deeply about what people genuinely need, and he pays it himself. He restores what is lacking. Is that not the gospel? That Jesus paid the price that we could not pay in order to restore what we lacked? So what would it look like for us to imitate God's restorative justice? Imitating God means making right what is wrong for others. It looks like championing justice for the other person. It looks like paying the cost myself for another's need. It looks like caring for the vulnerable. It looks like seeking out the poor to address their need. Now, as I'm saying those things, this may strike you as a little theoretical. And if it does, I want to encourage you to do something. And this is not a commercial. It's going to sound like a commercial, but it's not. It's an application of this. If this sounds theoretical, I want you to seriously consider signing up for the Thrive Conference. At the Thrive Conference, we're going to hear from people who are going to tell us this is absolutely not theoretical. We're going to hear from people who are going to tell us what it looks like to care for the orphan, what it looks like to come alongside of someone who is lonely, someone who is struggling. God invites each of us to see through a lens of grace. Why? Because when you and I look through a lens of fairness, it naturally draws our attention to ourselves. What is fair for me? When we choose a lens of grace, it focuses our attention on the other person. It allows us to love them 
and to have a heart for restoring them. There is a second lesson here. The second lesson that Jesus is teaching is that God God has sovereign freedom. The landowner next says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? He's the landowner. He really doesn't owe any of the workers an explanation about his pay arrangements. And as I mentioned earlier, the landowner clearly represents God. And God's freedom to choose is his sovereignty. It is his rule over his creation. And to be sovereign, he not only has to be all-knowing and all-powerful, but he needs to be free. A.W. Tozer has put it this way. He says, God's sovereignty requires that he be absolutely free, which means simply that he must be free to do whatever he wills to do, anywhere, at any time, to carry out his eternal purpose in every single detail without interference. Let me see if I can put some context to this. Immediately preceding the parable that we've read in chapter 20 is a scene where two questions are asked in chapter 19. The first question is asked by the rich young man, the rich young ruler, some of us will understand him by, and that's verse 16. And immediately following that, Peter asks a question in verse 27. The rich young man asks the question, he says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And the question that the rich young man is asking is fundamentally the wrong question. He views life through a mercenary lens, a fairness lens, and he believes that life is some kind of a payback for having done the right work. And Jesus tells the young man to leave his money, to give it to the poor, and to follow him. But the young man is incredibly rich, and he simply walks away. But on the, on the very heels of that incident, Peter is standing back behind, and Peter asks a question. He says, um, we've left everything to follow you. We got it right. We've left everything to follow you. And then he says, what will we have? Peter seems to think that the right question to ask following that is, um, what do we get from this? And immediately following that, Jesus is going to tell the parable of the landowner who views people through a perspective of grace. And so the landowner is answering the question not, what do I get from this? But having received God's grace, what do I get to do 
about this. What I get out of this, Peter's question, is the wrong question for those of us who have received God's grace. And the right question is, what do I get to do about this? This parable is showing that God, in his free choice, chooses to see people through a lens of grace. And as followers, we are being called to reflect God's loving, restorative justice. How? By asking the right question. What do I get to do about this? What can I do for my neighbor who just had surgery? What can I do for that person that I know is struggling financially? What can I do with the person that I'm talking with in the foyer who just told me they lost their job? What can you do about it? There is a third lesson. It's a shorter lesson, but the third lesson is that God is teach, or Jesus is teaching that God is generous. There's a final comment in the parable. It says, or do you begrudge my generosity? This is actually a situation where what is said in the Greek is not actually that phrase. What is in the Greek is an idiom, and this is a, an interpretation. What the Greek actually says is, is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? So using this phrase, Jesus is saying, you're choosing to see evil where in fact there is actually good. You're seeing through a lens, and your lens is a lens of fairness. And you're using that lens of fairness, and you see me as being unfair. When in fact, my generosity in meeting needs is demonstrating that I am generously good. God, with all of his riches, has been generous to you. He's been incredibly generous to me. God gives us so very much, and he enriches us in so many ways. Why? What's the purpose? To what end? Why is God generous to you? Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God God's generosity to you is not compensation to you. It is not payback. That is seeing God's generosity through a fairness filter. God's generosity to us is intended to overflow to the people around us, the people sitting next to you in the pew, 
your neighbors. As we come to understand God's generosity, we understand that he is being generous so that we can be gracious and kind to others. We become unoffendable. We become the kind of people who are living by God's kingdom rules when we don't see people through a fairness filter, when we don't see ourselves through a fairness filter, but that we choose through God's grace to see people through His grace. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.